0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge of Wharton.
1: We're meeting today with Kent Smetters, a Wharton professor of business economics and public policy, to discuss the recently proposed changes to immigration rules by the Senate and endorsed by President Trump, which would cut legal immigration in half over 10 years. Kent, you looked at the economic analysis of this proposal using the Penn Wharton Budget Models Immigration Policy Simulator that you've developed, which is free to all to use online, by the way. Uh, The simulator shows the impact of potential immigration reforms, including on GDP, size of the economy, population, employment, and the old age dependency ratio, which is a really interesting one, I think, and thus the effects on Social Security and Medicare. So let's get right to the headline findings. Uh, You have noted that net legal immigration into the U.S. is about 800,000 people per year, which may sound large but is actually about a quarter of a percent of the population, I believe. And so uh, you note um, on the website that whatever effects these policy changes might have, they're not going to be that great because – It's really such a small portion of the population. So let's talk first about the effects on GDP. Why don't you tell us about that?
0: Yeah. So I think it's important to kind of level set what is this bill trying to do. And in particular, there's about 800,000 legal immigrants who come into the United States every year. And about 45% of them are college educated. And the rest are typically very unskilled. So, the way to think about immigration in America is kind of a barbell um, approach. We have a lot of people kind of very unskilled, and a lot of people who are kind of the engineers and so forth who are mo- much more college educated. So, what the RAISE Act, which is the Reforming the American Immigration for a Strong Economy Act that was reintroduced by Senators Tom Cotton and David Perdue last week, tries to do is it tries to do really two things. The first is that it lowers the total amount of legal immigrants every year to uh, roughly about four hundred thousand so about fifty percent decrease, but then tries to change the skill mix such that instead of forty five percent being college educated we estimate it will be around seventy five percent and so what we do with the the, the model is we uh, simulate what 's the impact likely going to be, and if um, uh, the, and overall the impact is going to be um, a, a basically negative uh, for both GDP and jobs and what's going on is that if there was no change in the number of visas that are being issued um, so the total eight hundred thousand number didn't change but all you did is increase the skill mix um, that would be positive for GDP it would go up about uh, by about a third of one percent um, over time but at the same time, you have this negative effect on um, GDP through reducing the total number of visas, and so overall, we find uh, the long-run impact will be about two percent um, reduction in GDP and a job loss of about four and a half million.
1: That's that's uh, by what year? Over what period?
0: Um, and that is the long-run effect in terms uh, by 2040, and then we report you know intermediate years as well, and so. By 2027, you know, 10 years from now, GDP um, will go up. um, uh, uh, I'm sorry, just the opposite. GDP will go down, but but not as much. And um, uh, then, the the, in terms of jobs, the the job effect is you know pretty small in the first um, several years, Um, but then over time, the job increases. Uh, uh, oh, the, the job losses increased quite a bit, so uh, roughly about by four four million by the year twenty forty.
1: So that's uh, that's quite. So you're saying there's going to be four million or so fewer jobs in two thousand forty if uh, this bill uh, was passed as as it's written.
0: That's right, and we show all the intermediate years as well. I mean, do keep in mind when we talk about four million jobs, we're talking about on the base of two hundred and 14 uh, million jobs that we project um will be uh happening in 2040 and so that's going to go down from 214 million to about 210 million so as a percent of total jobs you know we we're talking about you know a pretty a pretty small number you know a couple percent but still it's it's definitely a negative
1: so so is it is it too small to say whether that would have any effect on Salaries overall or not?
0: Yeah, I mean, so uh, we did look at um, uh, wages, and what happens is that you have a couple of things going on. The first is that the, um, uh, so as you in fact uh, remove people, you have less labor. Um, that increases the amount of capital per worker um, in the short run. So wages actually go up a, a, a small amount in the short run. But then eventually what happens is more and more immigrants are out of the economy and their capital is no longer here, um, then um, it reverses course. And so what eventually happens is that uh, wages um, are are basically unchanged uh, over, over the long period of time.
1: What about this dependency ratio? Maybe you can explain what that is, because it seems that that is something that a lot of countries are struggling with. So Europe and, of course, um, Japan is probably most notable in that regard, and and even China.
0: Right, right. The dependency ratio is um, a very important uh, uh, statistic for when we think about some of the major programs in the United States, like Social Security and Medicare, they are funded on what's called a pay you go basis. So you need a lot of younger people to, in fact, um, help pay for those programs. What's happening over time is the amount of older people, relatively younger, is uh, going way up, so we have a lot more, we have a very aging population. That's a problem for us because that makes it harder for the uh, to pay for uh, these programs that are mainly focused on the, on the elderly. Keep in mind you know, our three programs alone, Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, are going to basically absorb the entire federal budget at some point. I mean, they're on a, an exploding path. So what happens is that when you get rid of immigrants, um, immigrants typically are coming in at a younger age. Um, and, um, and so when you get rid of them, you're actually worsening your ability to pay for those old age, uh, uh, programs. Now, it is true in the old days, there was some gaming that would happen that is immigrants would come in at middle age, qualify for social security with just 10 years of work, and then be able to collect benefits. A lot of that gaming has been eliminated. So for the most part, immigrants are, are positive now for helping us, the, uh, pay for those entitlement programs.
1: How, how was the gaming eliminated?
0: Uh, it, was, it was an act of Congress that basically uh, made it harder for people to um, uh, actually qualify for benefits. They had to um, pass bigger hurdles so they they couldn't come in and just qualify based on a few years of work.
1: So I, this it's an interesting issue because a lot of times when you talk about immigration, I mean, people think about Illegal immigration, of course, which is which is a separate topic. But, but, but just in general, they think about well, maybe um, immigrants are taking other people's jobs and, and that sort of thing. And, and you know, there's lots to discuss in those areas, which we're not going to talk about today. But I think one thing that's interesting is this: you know, sort of um, the the fact that the U.S. has has you know is a country of immigrants, and so if you look at some place like Japan, where they have uh, an aging population, their total population is scheduled to drop by very drastic numbers over the, the next couple of decades. Um, but they don't have the kind of history of being open to immigration that the U.S. has. And it's very hard for them to accept younger immigrants who might help them with their dependency ratio. And so in that sense, we have um, we have some advantages over other countries, don't we, that our our culture is one that that sees immigration as generally a positive thing. Now we're now we're kind of negotiating about how much is the right level.
0: Right. I mean, no no question uh, relative to Japan, our history of allowing for immigration is been a been a positive. Of course, that can you know reverse somewhat with this bill. Um, the one big difference between the United States and Japan, though, one one way reason Japan's been able to get away. With um, having fewer immigrants, is that the average Japanese household saves a lot more than the average American household, almost by about 10 times um, uh, in terms of the percentage of their salary. And so um, the Japanese have been able to afford a higher level of government debt and uh, be able to avoid some of the other negative problems that are associated with not having much immigration. That's not been true in the United States, and so immigration plays a really key role.
1: So what else would be important to know, uh, to understand uh, what, is, uh, what was uncovered in your, in your simulations on this immigration I- issue?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the, uh, uh, the, the main points are that if, in fact, you simply tilt the balance toward more skilled workers, that's a positive um, because skilled workers are going— to be net producers for the economy, not just in terms of taxes that they pay, but in terms of uh, job creation. Um, but then, if at the same time you are reducing the total number of immigrants, that goes in the opposite direction. So, if the Trump administration really wants to uh, figure out how do we make do immigration reform in a way that's kind of net positive for the economy, it's really um, changing the rules on how. Uh, immigrants are decided to come in, in, in particular, less about um, just family ties and so forth and more about the actual skills that they bring in.
1: You also, you also just quickly looked at what would happen if immigration increased by 50% or 100% and the effects that would have on GDP and jobs. Can you talk about that for a moment?
0: Yeah, and that's um, even if we didn't change the skill mix, but we simply just increased the amount of legal immigrants, that would have a very big um, positive impact on the economy. And that's um, both in terms of total GDP, number of jobs. Now, someone might say, well, that's kind of obvious because you just have more people. But it actually turns out it even increases the amount of GDP per person, that is, how much money is available uh, uh, across everybody, um, including um, native-born workers and the reason behind that is that uh uh immigrants tend to work pretty hard and they tend to have a very high attachment rate to the labor force and so they are less likely to, to, to be on kind of unemployment insurance and things like that, and so they're really a net positive, even if we just simply look at a, at a per person level, not just an overall level.
1: Could you take a minute to just talk about not just the uh, immigration simulator, but your your budget model simulator overall, uh, which is which is still pretty new and still still being developed, you're adding new things all the time. Uh, But it's a pretty interesting, I guess, is it fair to call it an econometric model?
0: Yeah, well, it's more than uh, just an econometric model. We use econometrics behind it to validate the model. Uh, But the model is a very detailed um, uh, model that, at the very base level, is a demographics model that includes that we start with census-level data and... Um, look at uh, families of lots of different uh, um, attributes, over 30 different attributes, and we then um, age the population. The, the people in the population, they make decisions about how much to work, how much to save, whether they get married, how, much, how many kids they have, whether they get divorced, you know, lots of different like, kind of life decisions, how much education they give, give for their kids, and so forth. And so um, it's a very rich uh, model, and we're able to therefore not only uh, very closely replicate kind of the demographic patterns in the United States, but then on top of it see how those households are going to make changes in uh, face of policy changes. And so what we do with the model is, uh, um, when this is where the econometrics comes in, is we take the model back in time and say, okay, how would this fancy model – um, uh, worked back in time, uh, how closely it would have replicated the U.S. economy and especially the demographics. And so we, we actually spent a lot of the time on just that validation, making sure that it would have done well historically before we then use it as a basis for projecting forward. And then on top of that model, we've coded up lots and lots of different policy rules. So we've coded up almost every single individual tax. Um, reform that's out there, so it's kind of it's like a TurboTax-like you know f- feature to the model. Mm-hmm. Um, we have very detailed social security systems, and we're building on top of it just much more detailed um, government policy system.
1: And uh, worth noting that anyone can go online and play around with this thing, correct?
0: Yes, and what's really neat about it, even though the model takes a while to solve, um, you can actually just go right to the Penn Wharton Budget Model website. You can just Google Penn Wharton Budget Model, and uh, you can play with the different simulators yourself by just literally moving different dial controls and saying what would happen. Um, for like, for example, Social Security, there's a lot of different options there of how would we fix Social Security. You could just move these dial controls. Um, there's over 4,096 combinations with just Social Security alone. And so what we do is because, you know, it's a very deep model that does a lot of big data and a lot of complex theory and so forth, um, you don't have to wait, you know, a half hour, an hour for your results. We actually use cloud computing to pre-compute every single combination ahead of time so that you get, you know, instant results, just kind of like doing a Google search, you know, Google scrapes the web first and and, um, it doesn't really go out and search it every single time you you type in something. So we do do it ahead of time so that you can get instant results and and do lots of what-if
1: analysis. Well, thanks very much for being with us today. My
0: pleasure. Thanks so much. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.